Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you're listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. I had an amazing episode lined up for you today, and it's still amazing. The original title of this episode was supposed to be Let's Talk About Sex. That title was an ode to the title of a song in the 90s by Salt and Pepper. The reason I chose that title was I was a kid, I remember the song, and I don't remember all the details, but I do remember there was such outrage about black women talking about sex in music. This was at the early height of the HIV AIDS epidemic, and it was such a scandal because black women were talking about sex, God forbid. So fast forward 25 or 30 years, and Cardi B and Meg Thee Stallion have a new song and video called WAP, or are we calling it W-A-P? I'm not sure. But last Friday, they released the song and video, and I watched it almost as soon as it came out. Most of you have heard it, so I don't need to give you a description, but it's a song celebrating, uh, how do I put this? Oh, okay. Dad, if you're listening, I know you have your notifications on for every episode. This might be a little much for you this week. Just be forewarned, we're going to talk about some filthy things this episode. You might know more about me than you want to. I'm giving you a heads up. You can, you can turn it off now if you want. But it is a song celebrating, let's say, um, women's pleasure. And it has some very raunchy lyrics. I laughed through most of the video. Like some of the things that Cardi says are completely outrageous. Um, she's, talking about, she's talking about swiping a man's nose through her ass crack. Like, it's a lot. But we've heard a lot before. It's not anything that Foxy Brown or Little Kim didn't say a good 25 years ago. But this song has sparked a lot of cultural conversation. Whether you like the song, whether you don't like the song, it has become emblematic of women's sexual pleasure, women's empowerment, women's agency over their bodies, double standards, misogyny, gender politics, dating and relationships, sexual politics, all of these things rolled into one. Because this song has ignited so many conversations about where our culture is, where our culture should be, I wanted to dedicate this episode to speaking about all of those issues. I've talked about this song extensively on social media. I think I've made four or five posts on my Instagram alone about it, which I usually only post once a day. So for me to engage multiple times about the same topic, no less, means there's really a lot of conversation and means it's a subject that I'm very interested in. And given the comments and the feedback, I would gauge that many of my listeners and readers are interested in as well. So I called up my friend in my head, Brittany Cooper, and I asked her to weigh in. I also called up a friend in my head, Ashley Cobb. She is a sexpert. For those not familiar, that means an expert on sex. And she is the founder of Sex with Ashley. For all of your questions about sex, she is an amazing resource. As I was recording this episode, literally in the middle of one of the interviews, I got a news alert, breaking news, that Joe Biden had finally selected a vice president. Senator Kamala Harris from California is officially the nominee for vice president on the Democratic ticket, which is super exciting. I've talked about Kamala Harris multiple times on the podcast, literally from when she put in her bid for presidency up until the time that she dropped out. 
But as a senator, she has remained a major figure in the political arena. And so I've continued to talk about her extensively, even when she was no longer running for president. I'm excited to have a black woman on the ticket. I did not expect it to happen. Multiple times, Joe Biden and his team have said that, oh, yes, we're going to announce the vice president pick and they've missed their own deadlines. And so I thought that there was great deliberation behind the scenes that although Joe Biden had shown interest at one point in having a black woman as his VP, I thought maybe he got cold feet. I thought that the delay was some sort of preparation for black folks who are the reason that Joe Biden is the Democratic nominee. If you'll recall, back during primaries, he wasn't doing so well. And he went down to South Carolina and he got a great endorsement from Congressman Jim Clyburn. And that's what put him back in the race. That's what made him viable once again. So I was like, look, black folks brought you to the dance. You better dance with black folk. But I didn't think that was going to happen. We've seen it many times before where people who are running for office, they make a big show of reaching out to the black constituency. And then once they get the votes that they need, they abandon black folks. I was prepared to be disappointed. I was still going to vote for Joe Biden, not because I'm all that enthusiastic about him, but mostly because he's not Trump. So I had to reconfigure this episode, had to go through my contact list, and I said, who do I know who could speak really well to what Kamala Harris being nominated as vice president, who could speak to what that means for black women? So I texted an old friend, Angela Rye, and I was like, sis, I know you're inundated. I know CNN and everyone else is calling. She was like, yes, I got you. Hit me in the morning. She needs no introduction, but I'm happy to do so because I'm super, super proud of her. Angela Rye is the principal and CEO of Impact Strategies, a political advocacy firm in the nation's capital. She's a CNN political commentator and NPR political analyst. She has been featured as an influential political lawyer and advocate by several publications and outlets from Marie Claire to Ebony and the Washington Post. Rye has an unwavering commitment to ensuring positive change in the political process. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, please welcome Angela Rye to Ratchet and Respectable. Hey, Demetria. Hey, babe. How are you? Girl, I'm tired. I can I'm only like, imagine. Yeah, I was like up all night, like happy and kind of like couldn't really sleep, but I was tired. And then this morning I, had, I was up for a CNN hit at 4.30 and I haven't been back to sleep. So I'm just like, you know... Um, no, when I hit you up yesterday, I was like, I know like every producer, podcaster, radio, like everybody is hitting you all at the same time. Thankfully, we're able to stand in the gap for, for our dear sister. So I am happy to do it. She's done. She's been so helpful to me and supportive. So it's my privilege to do it. I love it. Um, I was following you on Instagram yesterday and you said you are thrilled that Kamala Harris was picked as the VP. Why are you thrilled? What makes it um, so meaningful to you? Um, well, shoot, Demetria, I didn't know we were starting. I thought we were still kiki. Oh, bit. you want to kiki? No, you no, told no, me no, you no, were sleepy, so I was like, let me get let me get it in and get no, it out. No, no, I hear you. You're right. I did say that. And you like, I was close to what you said. You are right to do it. You know what this brought about, Demetria? Leading up to this moment, there were um, a number of black women who just kind of felt this call, right, to do something different, to move different. I think all of us are um, kind of increasingly paying attention, you know, for those among us who haven't been paying attention to 
shifts in the culture for some time, George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and, you know, so many others served as this kind of awakening. True to form, um, black women always show up and chill out. But there was this moment where black women were like, you know what, not on our watch. We're actually going to make sure that we're protecting these black women who they've said are um, contenders for this to ensure they're being talked about with respect and the dignity they deserve. And I want to shout out to Teka Eddie, who like mobilized a group of us to just do something different. We have. We stood together and we mobilized and we worked and we pushed for this. That that's what's on my mind today. I'm just I'm thankful because I feel like we always work hard, but very rarely are we seen and heard in our work and almost never rewarded in the work. And so this feels like um, a very late overdue um, gift, a just acknowledgement of being seen, of being heard, of doing the right thing. And, you know, it's it's late, but um, better late than never. Right. Better late than never. Were you surprised? Because I didn't think it was going to happen. I thought the delay in announcing was to, like, prepare black folks for, like, going with someone who's not who's not a black woman. What I really felt was relieved. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I was experiencing the anticipation of letdown, to your point, mm. around the delays, to your point around the very public dragging in the media, to your point, you know, even around... You know, what I was just bringing up a second ago about how we were being discussed in the media, it was almost like, well, we can't pick any of these because look at this. And none of the white women were being talked about it that way. You know, black people can be conspiracy theorists, especially if you raised by an activist. So I had all the conspiracies like, oh, they're doing this so they can make it okay for Gretchen Whitmer. That's what I was really scared about. So what I felt was relieved. And then it was um, a little bit, you know, a little bit of it's about damn time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it was a mixed emotions. But when I saw it, like I had, I received five calls before it was on TV. And so I was like, you know, kind of just sitting with it for like an hour before it was on air. And I'm like, oh, my God. So I was talking to one of my friends who also um, has worked with Kamala. We were on the phone. I was like, when is this announcement going to come? So while we were on the phone, it comes on and I am screaming, like screaming. And so she's like, I got to go. So we hung up. <laughs> um, but it was it was so good. And it was so nice to be like with someone who is like family to her. And just based on, you know, everything that Kamala um, and Maya represent and Nina too, you know, it's, it's like, and I see all of them as family. It just was an incredible moment. Incredible. It really was. Yesterday, I felt so much elation, so much excitement, and I joked that these bison from Howard are going to H-U-S to death. The AKAs are going to ski weed for everyone. The Jamaicans are happy. The Indians are happy. The black women are happy. I think we got through about maybe three hours of celebration yesterday before the comment section on my pages just went to shit with criticisms of Kamala's a cop or Kamala doesn't like black men. She's not really American because her parents are Jamaican and Indian. Like it was bad. What do you say to people who have like, you know, like these nitpicky, super critical, like negative things to say about her that really aren't even true? There's the point. That's what I would say to them, right? Like, what part What part of this narrative that you are um, continuing to uh, provide an echo chamber for, what part of this narrative um, that you are amplifying have you fact-checked? 
And no, I don't believe that every naysayer and every critic is a troll, but I can certainly tell you from my own comments, there are trolls present. People who just want to find something negative. You know, talking about who she decided to marry. Talking about, you know, the path she decided to take. Well, the biggest frustration is, Demetria, you know, you see these pieces that come out from a public defender who was opposite of Kamala, who said Kamala was the most progressive prosecutor she's worked with. You see people like Marilyn Mosby and Kim Fox who say that they are mentored by Kamala Harris. And these are sisters we champion. So what did you decide was different about Kamala? I just dare people to actually do real research on her work before you open your mouth up about her. And I also would say, when we start to question the legitimate Black experience, I would ask us to question what made us accept people who were from the islands and or mixed race in other instances. I would give you Malcolm X. I would give you Marcus Garvey. What made you decide that their blackness was acceptable to you, even if they were from the island? Toussaint L'Overture. Why can we celebrate them as black heroes and black history makers, but we can't celebrate her? And we know that this isn't new. We saw some of this with Barack Obama around mixed race and his father being Kenyan. And it is um, the othering of us that will divide us every time. And it's a point where we need to be building bridges um, throughout the diaspora. We start tearing people down because their journey to this country, if they came here at all, isn't like ours. Just don't know how productive that is because oppression is oppression, period. Colonization is colonization, period. And that's also why we find, a, well, as a community, I don't, but as a community, we find it difficult to stand side by side with other oppressed groups, like people from Indian country, like brown folks. It doesn't serve us to be this divided when hate is hate. When white supremacy is white supremacy, you picking, you fighting the wrong person. Shed your slave mentality. You know what I mean? And that doesn't mean you can't challenge her or ask questions about her record, but at least let them be fact. And she can't help how she got here. You exactly. Know? Exactly. <laughs> Speaking of building bridges, but in a different way, a lot of people are excited. What should black women especially be doing right now if they want to see, if they want to help, I'm saying Kamala Harris, like she's running on top of the ticket, for Biden Harris <laughs> to get elected mm -hmm. um, in November? I think the most important thing is if you're not registered to vote, register now. I was talking to Lenard Charlemagne the other day about his interview with the City Girls on Breakfast Club. And, and um, one of them said, pardon me for not knowing which one. And I'm saying that just to acknowledge, like, I see you, sis. I just don't remember your name. Mm -hmm. But I am saying this to say she mentioned that she was a felon, so she couldn't vote. So I said, well, where is she? Is she, is she in Florida? And he said, yeah. I said, well, the Supreme Court just decided that after the, the ballot initiative where and then the ACLU were sued to try to get um, the fines removed for returning citizens. And they lost that case, but the Supreme Court didn't like throw out the ballot initiative. So she can be registered to vote. She can vote, but she has to pay whatever fines are associated with her sentence. So I was like, you need to make sure she knows that. So to the extent that you have anyone in your family, even ladies, who um, has you know, committed a crime and per perhaps they are coming back, for, you know, they're rebuilding their lives, don't automatically think you can't vote. Um, know what is required. If you voted in the past, but you didn't vote last time because you weren't excited or energized or what have you, make sure that your status is still active. 
that you are still a registered voter and you did not get purged from the rolls. You can check all of that out with your Secretary of State. Every state has a Secretary of State responsible for governing um, and overseeing elections and election criteria and rules and regulations. So that is the first step. There are sites like whenweallvote.org, which, Demetria, I know you stand for Michelle Obama. This, is, of course, is Michelle Obama's initiative. And then there's also um, vote.org to just check out things on voting early on um, mail-in ballots, which, of course, we're all going to be um, doing given COVID. And I think we really need to understand the game is different this time. They have changed the rules. And so we have to be ready to play ball. And so that means election day is not November 3rd for you. Now, based on how this mail is set up and the fact that I ordered a package on July 15th and I still don't have it, you might need to move election day up a little earlier. So right when that ballot comes, send that thing right back. Send it right back. I've asked you all of my questions about Kamala Harris, but is there anything that you think it's important for my listeners to know about Senator Harris or... Madam Vice President, potentially, um, is there anything that you think that they should know about her or they should be thinking about um, in terms of this upcoming election? Well, what I would say to them um, and to you, Demetria, I know you do this so well, is just study. You know, study not only to show yourself approved, but study to show yourself your your power. You know, make sure that you don't take a tweet that somebody puts out or an Instagram post that someone creates or a YouTube video that someone develops as facts. Do your research. Like, make sure that this is a candidate that you love and you can support and you want to go work for. And what I'm confident of, based on everything I know about her, um, based on what I, I've seen in her Senate record, based on uh, my interactions with Kamala, she's the one. She's the one. She got it. And so I think that if people will just take a moment to really study um, everything that's happened in the Senate, how she's advocated for us, not just folks in California, but how she's advocated for black folks throughout this country, through, through for marginalized folks throughout this country. We've seen her go viral in hearings, and that's how she shows up in her legislation, too. She is really fighting for us. So I think that we need to take that hope with us to the polls or to the mailbox. Thank you so much, Angela. I really, really appreciate you. Okay, I'll talk to you soon. All right, bye, babe. Bye-bye. I love that chick, and I love to see her shine. I've known her for years. She used to do these impact parties for Congressional Black Caucus weekend. The guest list would always fill up very quick, and I'd hit her up like, sis, put me on a list. It's kind of how we became friends. We have another national treasure coming up in the form of Brittany Cooper. I was first introduced to her work years ago via Cronk Feminist Collective. She is also the author of the New York Times bestseller, Eloquent Rage, and she is a professor at Rutgers University. And today, she joins Ratchet and Respectable to talk about wet-ass pussy. It's a crass title, but it's launched a cultural conversation. Please welcome Brittany Cooper to Ratchet and Respectable. Brittany, it's Demetria. Good morning or good afternoon where you are. Good morning. How are you? Good afternoon. Yeah, I'm all right. How are you? Good, good. I wanted to reach out to specifically you to articulate or give me context of all the craziness that is happening around this WAP video with Cardi and Megan. Because I'm at the point where I'm just, I'm just raging. So I was like, who can help me give context and like put all of this into, make it make sense. 
Cardi and Meg are not the first women to make a video or to make a song that is about sex, that is raunchy, that is celebrating women's sexuality, that's vulgar, however you want to put it. But people are reacting like it is. And I feel like this happens every single time that a woman puts out a song that's very sexy. Why? I think one of the things that's interesting about this video visually, and it and it really tracks with kind of a shift in some of these videos. So I think the first one that we saw that began to play with this concept was when Nicki Minaj did Anaconda, and you didn't see any men in the video until the very end, right? And then you had City Girls twerk video uh, that was all about women kind of twerking with each other, and then you have this video. There are no men in the video. And so part of the challenge here is that these women have taken an aesthetic that men helped to pioneer in hip-hop, where women's bodies are sort of the object of their sexual pleasure. And so if women are going to twerk, if women are going to, you know, think about queer sexuality with each other, then all of that stuff has to be for men's pleasure. And so a world in which women are saying we can be sexual, and yes, we understand that you're watching, but you're not watching in the room, you're going to watch on our terms, that I think then unsettles because the earlier narratives meant that if men were watching and these women were doing it for the pleasure of men, that they were hoes, you know, and that they were just kind of tricking and playing the game and that they were doing this for status or as the young people like to say, for clout. <laughs> now, it's not about doing it for clout. Not only are we sexual, but, you know, one gets the sense that unlike Lil' Kim, who had a lot of help hitting her lyrics, that, if, you know, Meg is, this is the, you get Meg's persona, right? Very clearly, Cardi's persona. This is who these women purport to be sexually, and they're in control of what they want. And they're also, you know, not impressed by dudes. They're not doing it to get the influence or money of men. They are literally like, you are my sex object. You are here for my pleasure. That is a conversation that makes Men deeply uncomfortable because it's so antithetical to how they understand themselves in, in the mode of conquest. And it makes women uncomfortable. And so then you even see sometimes women hating, both because I think that they're sexually intimidated by Meg and Cardi. Because part of it is like, well, shit, is this the standard? Like, this, <laughs> do I have to be putting it down like this in bed in order for dudes to respect me? So I think that people should begin to own their anxiety about what does it mean to see women in control of their pleasure? I also think that when women see other women in control of their pleasure, part of what then happens is then you begin to evaluate your own life. Like, are you demanding? Have you been playing an old game and these young students have come along to say, like, that game is played out and sex is for us as much as it's for anybody that we would be sleeping with? I came up on like Little Kim Hardcore that came out my freshman year of college. Like, this is my baseline for like understanding how women can talk about sex if they want. So I'm maybe a little more open with this. I watched the video. I was like, this is fun and silly and ridiculous in the way that all songs about sexual conquest kind of are. Like, Yin Yang Twins whispering, wait, do you see my dick? It's ridiculous. Exactly. So this didn't really bother me. I was like, okay, men like sex, and now women are saying they like sex, and they have wet-ass pussy, and like, this should be a good thing for all who like to have sex with women, No. But you just said something about how a lot of sex or heterosex can be about the conquest. It's not necessarily about the pleasure or the good time. It's kind of like, to me, it seems like it's about convincing a woman 
who's saying kind of no or she's unsure and you're convincing her to do it as opposed to like enjoying that you're like, I want to do it. And she's like, yeah, me too. And then you have happy, enthusiastic, consensual sex. Absolutely. Look, if a woman is that invested in having sex, it also means that dudes have to perform. Like, so part of this is, I think, just like collective performance anxiety shot through with sexism. And that part of that is about like, so CeeLo comes out this week and says that he thinks that this video is, they just look desperate. This is a man who has convictions for sexual violence. Yes. And so then I was like, you know, I was like, oh, so you, you are a cliche, right? You're a cliche of that meme about how men want to have sex with women who don't want to have sex with them. They want to have sex when they want to on their terms, but they're not interested in women actually consenting to it, wanting it, inviting it, any of that. We really got to talk about, like, what kind of masculinity do we have going on here where men feel so anxious and so fragile about sex? Because are we grown? Because grown people... Everybody gets to come to the table and say what they want. And and part of this is that dudes have this really immature understanding of sex. Men think that wet ass pussy is for them to slide in and get their dicks wet, and that's it. I mean, this is also because men typically understand vaginas as just open holes that are tight or not tight. They don't have any sense of them as, like, complex ecosystems that you got to stroke in the right way. Whoever's having sex with, you know, with folks with vaginas, right? You gotta, you gotta have some strokes. You gotta have some game. You, you know, all of those sorts of things. And so, when you listen to a Meg or you listen to a Cardi, part of that is that they're challenging your skill set and ask you to get your sexual literacy up, and but also ask you to come to the table as an equal with a grown ass person and be able to fuck in the way she wants. As you said, these songs are not new. And, you know, for many years, whenever I do units on sex and sexuality, I love to play Lucille Bogan's 1935 hit, Shave of Dry. Because, you know, I try to tell kids, like, black people have been being watching about sex forever. It's not new. And so all of this clutching is about our own moral panic. It's about our own anxiety. It's never about sex. I mean, I'm like... You know, Lucille Bogan, that's somebody my great-grandmother would have listened to, not even my grandmother. And so the idea that a very explicit sexual presence is a new thing is completely absurd. You know, there is no world in which uh, folks have been having good and decent sex without a significant amount of wet pussy. Like, I mean, you know, it's, it boggles the mind. It boggles so, the mind. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I see a blatant hypocrisy in the men, in the music that men make and the music that men enjoy. Everyone from Jay-Z to Biggie to Tupac to Nas, Luke, Kendrick Lamar. I mean, he's supposed to be like intellectual, but he's still like, I know you want this dick. That's, that's Kendrick's line. The blatant hypocrisy of men to like make this music, to enjoy this music. And then when women do something in the same vein, everyone flip out. Is it that men don't see the hypocrisy or they just don't care? They, they see it. They certainly don't care. But I actually think, as I'm listening to you, that part of the thing we should say about this is that this is also about the way that for 40 years, uh, literally today, the day that we're talking, is, you know, August 11th, 1973, Cool Heart throws this black party. Mm. You think about that as the inauguration of hip-hop, right? So for over 40 years at this point, something like 47 years, Black men have been able to use that space as their space to have a public say about the things that they think. And so it has been their space to preach at. 
and demoralize black women and talk down to us and give us a bunch of commands about what we need to be doing. And so anytime it's like, well, you know, throw that ass in a circle, girl, or, you know, or, or, you know, jerk it, work it, get up on the pole, every kind of command, they see this as their public sphere to be able to tell women what they think. What you have happening in hip-hop in this moment, which is something that we really haven't seen since the 1990s, is a resurgence of the female MC. And so some of the, I mean, Matt Thee Stallion is arguably the hottest rapper in the game right now. You know, she's pulling all the hits, all the Instagram attention, all of that. Between her, Cardi, Tierra Wax, Sheikah, you know, Rico Nasty, No Name, all of these black girls who are out here having their say and they're across the political spectrum, but they're all sexually unapologetic. They're everywhere between queer and straight in terms of how they sexually identify. And so I think that this is actually a broader anxiety that has that is part of like what has kept women out of hip hop, you know, in different moments, right? Or part of what has kept women down in hip hop, which is that every time you have this assertion of female presence, then dudes just start tripping. And part of the reason we're scratching our heads is because we know that it's actually not about these women singing about sex. It's about them being sexually confident and having power. I mean, hip-hop is now enjoying a bit of a resurgence, but at one point in the 2010s, hip-hop albums really weren't selling worth shit. Now they're coming back, but in part that's being driven by this excitement about these young female MCs and by this kind of burgeoning, you know, by a social movement in Black Lives Matter that is deeply feminist, that is pro-trans lives, and black men have a lot of issues with that, and they're playing out those anxieties in every way that they can. And so now we're getting this narrative about how women don't respect themselves and how dare they, and this is so terrible, and they're desperate, right? I mean, we had Jermaine Dupree saying, where are the women in hip-hop? Now, you've got Hilo calling these folks desperate, and part of it is that all those dudes are old, they're seeing a changing of the guard, and the changing of the guard is, is female. And they can't deal. And part of the way that men always assert their power over women when it's about social and political power is actually to try to sexually undermine us. And that's a story that's as long as time. I think we gotta have we gotta think about it in both ways. But yes, this is about wet ass pussy, but really it's actually about the folks with pussy, right? And their brains and their talent and their voice and the fact that essentially, you know, these dudes just wanna say that yo and women shut up and fuck. And half of the songs they put out, that's the sentiment in them. Shut up, bend it open, girl. Shut up, bust it wide open, girl. Now, sisters are saying their version back. And they're saying it with, you know, while riding the beat in a lovely way and with a lot of diversity and great production. And dudes are tripping. What do you say to the women who are flipping out, who say, like, well, what about the children? And this is unladylike. And this is not female empowerment. This is exploitation masquerading as feminism. Let's get off some, like, old 1950s Make America Great Again bullshit (laughs) because that has never served black people, right? That has never been our particular ethic. And let me tell you the thing that really, really irritates me. I cannot stand the argument that black, grown black women choosing to be grown in public is somehow a danger to children. Because if you want to talk about an idea that is rooted in anti-blackness, let's talk about the notion that black female sexuality is somehow a danger to our community. That is an idea propagated by white people, and they propagated it in slavery and after slavery, and it has had terrible consequences in our community. I 
need black people to have a more critical lens when they say things like that. If we're going to take anything from the old school ways many of us were raised, then part of what we need to take from that is the idea that grown folks stuff is for grown folks, and there are things that are not appropriate for children. That means that you need to be a better regulator of the kind of media that your kid consumes. It doesn't mean that grown women don't get to talk about their sexual lives. No one talks about dudes as being a danger to children. No one says that men being out in the world expressing what they think about about who they want to have sex with endangers kids. We just say that's what men do. The other thing about this is I'm not I have no aspirations to be a fucking lady. I don't think that any of these women who are in hip hop are asking to be judged according to a standard of being ladylike. And I think that some of that is what folks are calling pick-me energy, right? That a lot of these chicks are very angry because they have bought into the idea that part of what it means to be desirable to a dude is that you're a lady in the street and a freak in the sheet or that you are a good girl. But, dude, it's 2020. That's some stuff that we grew up hearing in the 80s and 90s. We are literally into the third decade of the 21st century. And some of that stuff rooted as it is in a kind of church-based dogma that doesn't even hold up, it just has to go. That's not the way that people are building relationships right now. You get to be whatever kind of black woman you want to be in the world, but if you actually love other sisters, then you also have to affirm their right to show up in the world however they want to. And part of the thing that I want sisters to stop doing is is being mad. Look, I look at mad memes and I be mad too. I'm like, shit, I, I mean, I wish. But not even on my best day at age 24 or whatever could I put it down like that, girl. I could. I could at 24. I could at 24. I was good in the club. I was good. 41, not so much. Not so much. I mean, look, and here's the thing. I want to make it count because what we know is that you will wake up one day and it won't work that way. No like no matter how great you are right now. So I see Meg, I see Cardi, I revel in their, you know, in the in the in the way that they express joy, in the in their unapologetic owning of all of the complications of their lives and, and you know, and not mincing words for anybody because here's the thing, that's what we've been fighting for. It isn't the only thing we've been fighting for. Certainly we aren't as free as we would like to be, but we have been in hip hop and in hip hop feminism fighting for a world where black women can come out and state the terms of their sexual lives, their reproductive lives, and do that without having to apologize or ask for permission or need a dude to make it, right? Uh, And that that is happening, and I think that that's worth celebrating. And, and I think that anytime you see sisters coming out and sniping at each other, that's always about our work that we haven't done. That's about the stuff that these women call up for us about our anxiety about the choices we've made around relationships and sex and partnering. And now we're just projecting all that shit onto them. So I'm like, that's what they got therapists for, and so go see one. And you know, and really begin to think about, like, are you having the kind of sex that you want to be having? Because if not, they got books and instructional videos and all kinds of things that you can, and I'm not, and I'm actually not trying to, like, mock people. I'm literally saying, like, get to the heart of your issue because I don't see the issue being with them. You know, I see them doing their thing. I see them being young people who have a level of sexual autonomy that makes us uncomfortable. But it's our job to interrogate why other people being sexually free makes us uncomfortable because here's the thing about the sisters that feel some type of way. Cardi and Meg ain't the ones coming to take your man. They don't know you. You gotta, 
you got to do your work, you got to do your stretches, you got to go to <laughs> yoga, you know, and figure out your thing around this. But yelling about them and their lack of morals and their lack of respect for themselves is just, it's a 19th and 20th century playbook and it will not work in the 21st century. I ask this because it comes up every single time. Like, I remember it coming up with, like, salt and pepper. And let's talk about sex, promoting condoms at the height of, like, the HIV-AIDS epidemic. And that was a problem. Like, I vaguely remember that as a kid. I remember TLC, condoms in the videos, over there, over left eye's eye. That was a problem. That was also 30 years ago, and we're still having the same debate, the same issues every time a woman talks about sex. Does this go away, or are we just going to do this over and over and over again? It's a perennial problem every time, you know, in every generation, you know, there are folks who are sort of yelling about black women's sexual lives. So there's this famous story about a black woman named Sarah Bath Douglas who in the 1850s, she lived in Philadelphia, and she would give these lectures about, basically about sex to black women, like under the cover of the darkness or whatever. And she had a mannequin and a parent, you know, I just want to know what happened in sex ed class in 1850s among (laughs) these black women. When she stopped doing that work, she burned all of her papers. Because she was so afraid of being exposed as someone who was immoral. People said this about Ida B. Wells in the 1890s. Ida B. Wells was a flirt. She ran dudes. She had lots of dudes before she got married or whatever. And people talked about her as a flirt and said that that meant that she wasn't capable of doing race work, right? And that she needed to kind of have this respectable veneer or what have you. And so, you know, Polly Murray, who's one of my favorite civil rights icons, was a queer black woman. Uh, today, um, they will probably identify as trans, but they had lots of, like, same-sex lovers in the 1930s and 40s in this country. And, you know, that was a minor scandal and it kept them from, you know, enjoying the level of prestige they should have enjoyed in their lifetime around civil rights. This is a thing that attends to black women, this idea that we don't get to be all of our in all of our complexity. So yeah, I do think that we're gonna continue to fight about it, but I think we're gonna continue to fight about it because I think that part of what's happening in our community still is an anxiety over the terms with which we partner with each other. I mean think about it. There's a cottage industry of black men writing books, even though it's died down a bit, telling, but telling black, giving black women dating advice and telling them what to do to make themselves worthy. And then there's a cottage industry of black women who sort of do this pick me thing, but they do it with a kind of purity culture, right? So some years ago, like, I knew some chicks that had a, a club called the Single Wives Club. And I was like, what the hell is that? But they were like, oh, you know, we're single, but we're wifey material. So we have we have a lot of narrative in hip hop culture about what is the what the girl like to get the ring right you know you can't turn a hoe into a housewife all of this kind of bullshit that's why people are mad when Cardi's like I don't cook and I don't clean but I still got that ring like that's why people are mad because all of these black chicks out here who want the ring felt like they needed to do the the former thing they needed to learn to be these domestic goddesses and shit. And she's like, no, actually, you might just need to learn to fuck. I think that until black women stop worrying about this competition between women over dudes, and which is old, and I'm actually shocked that we're still here, right? I see these young MCs actually trying to move us beyond that. But you see Meg, I mean, look, Meg just got shot, and nobody has had a substantial amount of things to say about that when we know that it would have dominated the news cycle if it were dude if Kendrick had gotten shot or J. Cole had gotten shot. But this dude that she used to fool with, I mean, he shot her because and, and he shot her in the feet. And when I think about that, I'm like that 
of the, the way in which he doesn't want her to be able to control her movement or move on or walk on her own terms or stand on her own terms. And this conversation that we're having in hip hop is tantamount to saying the same thing. We use sex as a gun wherein we shoot women in the feet when they try to stand on their own terms and say, this is the thing that I want and this is what matters to me in terms of how I'm going to partner and who I'm going to have sex with and how I'm going to build relationships. It's fundamentally violent and we have to stop doing it. Brittany, I love you. Like, you put stuff into words and terms that, like, I have, like, vague ideas about but don't tie together. But the, like, Meg and the feet and women and standing and hip-hop. Ma'am, yes. Yes. You are a blessing. You are a national treasure. Thank you. Thank you. I've asked you a bunch of questions about Megan and Cardi and sexism and feminism and empowerment and misogyny and patriarchy and all of those things. Is there anything that you think is relevant to this conversation that I haven't asked you about that you think I should be talking about? I think we're in a fight of our lives right now, and we're having a we're having a moment where um, we're talking about the plight of black women and girls. I've been excited today because I've been following the story of this 15 year old black girl out of Michigan whose um, pseudonym is Grace, who finally was let off probation after you know a series of you know a, a bunch of foolish charges that landed her in jail because she didn't do her homework in the middle of the pandemic. Oh, thank God and she's out. Been, so they let her out a couple of weeks ago, and then she's off probation officially as of today. All of the activism that black girls have been doing around her and the, you know, all of that work, we, we got a victory, you know, and we, we, we don't have a victory yet for Breonna Taylor. But part of the thing that makes me think about is we can't be turning up in the streets for dead black girls and then we don't know how to treat living black women and girls, right? We don't know how to celebrate the joy, the, the voice, the coming to voice, the sort of unapologetic black girlness of these, these black women in the public sphere like Cardi and Meg and all these sisters in hip hop. But these things are all connected to each other. And so to say that we care about black life is to say that we care about black women's quality of life. And if black women are telling us in their music and given the level of celebration and exaltation of this song among many black folks, if they're telling us that we want to talk about what it means to have healthy, pleasurable sex, where women are not being raped and violated, but where they're choosing who they fuck, and that that is part of how we understand ourselves in this moment, that's what we're fighting for. When we fight for black people to be able to live, we're fighting for black people to be able to have full lives. We're fighting for black women to be able to have that. And so you can't say that you care about Breonna Taylor and you care about race and then get mad when living black women, grown-ass black women, then determine the terms of how which they want to live their lives. Those things are incongruent. And so I just want people to connect our political struggles and our cultural struggles together recognize you got to like the song. But you definitely have to rise for the right of these sisters to to make their art and recognize the value in a world where slavery for black women in this country meant that for hundreds of years we didn't control who we had sex with or who, the terms upon which we had children. It is always radical when black women tell us the terms upon which they're going to have sex. Always. Always. Thank you, Brittany. She's amazing. I love her. Last but not least, we have Ashley Cobb. I've told you already that she is a sexpert. She is the founder of Sex with Ashley. You can follow her on near every social media platform at Sex with Ashley. Please welcome Ashley Cobb to Ratchet and Respectable. Hello. Ashley. Yes, ma'am. Hi, Bay. How are you? I am good. 
I'm awesome. It is so great to have you on the phone. I feel like I've been following you for years and I know everything about you and I know everything you think about everything and how you think, but we ain't never met. I feel like we should have met before now. I know. <laughs> well, it's very nice to meet you. Likewise, very nice to meet you too, finally. I'm so incensed right now. Like, I'm late giving you a call because CeeLo Green, in an interview, is like throwing Megan and Cardi under the bus for WAP. And I'm just like, how dare you have a public opinion on this as like someone who like had to do community service and go to Narcotics Anonymous meetings and was on probation for drugging a woman at dinner so you could fuck her, i.e. rape her. I just don't understand the yeah. audacity. Yeah, I, I, I saw that. You know, it's one thing men, and they always have the audacity. I'm not surprised by nothing they say or do. I shouldn't be surprised, but I'm just like, really? Really? Yeah, I, I saw that. I can't um, like or share on Facebook, honey, but I did see you write that. On Wait, what happened? You told me that you got blo- blocked again, because I feel like you've been blocked a couple times. Okay, so Facebook lately has been flagging posts from like, a year or two, a year or two ago. So today it was a post from two years ago, and so I, um, you know how you can like dispute the claim or whatever. So I did do that, and they said, you know, oops, my bad. It 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 does not, you know, go against their community policies. However, I still can't post. I still can't, you know, write anything or share or nothing. Supposedly for three days. So I don't. I don't know how to access my account now since they clearly made a mistake. I don't know. Wait, is this like from your post because you talk about sex? It was a a sex post, but the post, it had no nudity. I was looking for um, nude models at the time. This was like two years ago. And so I created this like help wanted, looking for male nude models who were uh, interested in doing like a little paint and sip thing. And all I said was, you know, it's erotic, nude models, Send me a picture of a topless picture, no penis pictures to my inbox. That was the whole post. That was it. <laughs> and you're blocked for that? Yeah, so I don't know if like they are like um, flagging words. I don't know, but then I said, but I did, you know, um, appeal it. And so I won the appeal, but I still can't have access to my page. So I don't know what happened. That's- and I kind of need, I need that because I have a, a radio show on Wednesdays. And then we stream live from, from on Facebook, and I share it, but we'll see. I would love for you one day. I don't know what we're going to talk about coming to the radio show. Like, I would love for you to do that. I would love to. I know! Because one of the things that I love about you is, like, you talk about, like, very filthy things. Fun and filthy. I don't mean filthy in a bad way. I mean, like, fun, pleasurable, filthy things on Facebook. And, you know, that, that's, like, one of my favorite topics, anything involving fun and filth. Yeah! How did you fall into this career path like as a black woman as a sexpert i imagine this was not um innate to you like you had to overcome some hurdles to get to this place my second degree is in health promotion education so i wanted to do like public health i originally went to college to be an educator for like black women with hiv aids that was my original intent got out of college couldn't find a job so i was forced to um, be a teacher so i was teaching for like five years or so I still love sexual health, sexual wellness. Um, so I created a blog. This was 2016. And then from the blog, it just kind of gradually grew. I would like uh, write topics 
all right, like sexual like tips of the day. That's what it was at first on my regular personal page. And then it kind of grew and people were like um, commenting and people would see me out in the streets like, oh, I like your tip of the day. I was like, oh shit, y'all actually do read my stuff. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. And so it kind of grew from there. It just grew from my natural love of um, wanting to educate black women on sexual health. When you started talking about sex, did you get any pushback from like your family or friends? A lot. What they said? A lot of, a lot of pushback. Um, my, some of my friends thought I was crazy because at the time I was working, I was a teacher, and I, uh, my job had found my sex with Ashley Facebook and Instagram page. And, you know, my face is on there, so you know it's me. And so they were like, "Well, you know, you can continue to teach because we like you." But but you have to get rid of your sex with Ashley page. And I was like, well, I'm not doing that because I love this. Teaching was just a means to an end. And so I had friends who thought I was crazy because, like, oh, you're leaving a job that's with security, even though it's a teacher salary is still security. I have benefits. So I had those pushbacks. My mother, who is very Southern, very uh, churchy, you know, we don't talk about stuff like that outside the house sex is just something that you and your partner experience you, you don't never you know talk about out loud like how dare you me and her have had some very um knockout drag out type of situations i know one time she was like she was embarrassed and she she hated what i did uh we, we just finally got to a point probably a month or two ago she was she was proud she said she wished i i still did something else, but she had she was proud of the progress I made by doing my own thing. From a black mother, that's a full on endorsement. That's as much as you really gonna I get. Tell you, like I don't ever think my mama's gonna be to the point where she's like, Oh child, you know, acting my door. She's talking about sex. Like I don't think she's ever gonna be there. But I just wanted her not to be embarrassed and not to be like I'm from a small town. And the people in my town, you know, we have, we have one high school. I went to the same high. I went to the same high school my parents went to, and my aunts and uncles, and all that stuff. So, like, I just wanted her to be able to go out to the street and not feel like people are talking about her daughter. She's over that, but that's so I'm happy with that. That's really funny. I will tell you this when I um, had my blog and I was writing about dating and relationships and even sex from time to time, my parents were always like, Why are you telling so much? What will people think? And blah, blah, blah. But like the same people, they would be like, Well, what will people think? Were the people who were like emailing me and texting me, like, Hey, girl, so this is what's going on with me. And I'm like, Really? And I remember my first was doing it on Facebook. I had the Facebook page. People who were not commenting or were not, like, you know, having any activity on the page would inbox me. I mean, I had, like, a pastor who inboxed me about, I was posting about something, I don't know, position or something, and they inboxed me, and she was like, you know, I like this, blah, blah, we tried this. No, that shit! Like, you know, like, people actually... Are, are listening, they are reading, they might not share or say out loud that they're, they actually follow my content, but they actually do, and, it, and that gave me um, validation because I feel like, oh, I actually am helping people, and this content is actually, you know, it's taboo, but it's needed. If you are a woman who may not be like you or me, who wants to put all their business out there and doesn't mind, or may not want to specialize in, you know, dating relationships, sex, or any of the like, if you are a woman who 
you know, I was kind of raised probably about how you and I were. If you must do it, then you definitely don't talk about it. And you definitely don't talk about it outside of the house. Like, how do you sort of, like, free yourself from those boundaries, really? You just have to get to the point, the place of where you don't give a fuck. That's kind of where I was. I was like, you know what? I'm grown. Um, what I'm doing is not harming anybody. It's uh, consensual with adults. I'm talking about sex among adults. So you have to get to the point where you don't let what other people's projections, other people's fears, other people's opinions stop you from what you're going to do. Especially when what you're doing is, one, legal and it's not harming anyone. I also find, too, is like when you just decide, like, this is me, and if you like it, you like it, and if you don't, you don't, people just kind of fall in line. Like, once people can't shame you, it's almost like they have nothing left to do. And it's like, oh, well, I guess I just let her be, move on to somebody else. And that's really what it is to me. Like, you can't shame me. There's nothing that you can say about, like, sex or something that's going to be like, I'm going to be shamed about. I wrote a blog about this on my website. I think it was in January about the time I had chlamydia. And I did that because one of the happenstances of having sex is sometimes every once in a while you may catch something. I was just blessed enough to catch something that, you know, I could get rid of. But let's talk about it because let's, let's talk about how that happened. Let's talk about, you know, a lot of people have things. They, they just feel ashamed of themselves. Oh, I caught something. But I, a lot of people catch stuff from time to time. So that's what happened when we're having sex. And especially when you did like do something like I did. I myself in a situation where I trusted the man who, who we were supposed to be monogamous. But, you know, apparently, you know, he was, you know, had community penis and he wasn't. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about how we as women should not be putting our health all, you know, depending on what, what a man says. We should take responsibility of our own health. I love that the STD rates or STI are through the roof across the board. And it's not because everyone is having safe sex. No, they're not. They're not. Cause, so Because people, people will say, I post this on Facebook too. I like I, I ask the question. Well, how many of you guys would actually would date someone who had like herpes or HIV or whatever? Most of the people were like, ah, now I know that somebody with herpes, blah blah blah. And I'm like, well, that's funny that you guys say that because when I talk to people about sex, black people, that's who I talk to most of the time. Most of y'all not using condoms. Yeah. How are you not using condoms when then you don't want to date someone? Who may happen to have something? Hell, you might have something you don't even know. And don't because people don't get tested. Yeah. That's yeah. You watched the WAP video, yes? Uh, I did. How many times did you watch it? That's probably a better question for you. <laughs> so, I, so I am uh, ashamed to say uh, I, I probably watched the video probably three times. I keep watching the video. There's like this move where like Megan and Cardi are um they're in like the day glow outfits. They're humping the floor and then they flip over real quick. Uh-huh. My knees ain't what they used to be in their 20s, but I'm still trying to figure it out. Good luck, girl. I'm not even trying. Uh, <laughs> like, good luck. Good luck. Good luck. I'm just going to listen to the song. Good luck with you. Try to do the move. That's, that's all I'm going to do. I can't even do it. I'm not even going to try. You've listened to the song a bunch of times. What do you think of the song? I did. I love the song. Go back to the video very quick. I did see on Facebook, someone tagged me. Um, there's, there's a video version without um, Kylie Jenner. And why? Did you see that one? I didn't see that one. That's hilarious that they cut her out the video. That's hilarious. Uh, like, how much did you pay to get this video? Because, like, that's the only thing that makes sense. Like, why are you here? Uh, I post that question, question on the internet. Someone was like, they filmed it at her house, and her nigga at the time were friends. So I guess that makes sense. I would just pay her a house fee. I wouldn't let her in my video, but that's just me. 
didn't like the song. Like I, I am a um, a stripper music uh, trap queen type person. Like trap and gospel are part of the, my two favorite genres of music. <laughs> I, I like music where I can, you know, like pop my pussy. Like I don't pop my pussy, but I like music where I feel like I can. And the funny thing about the song is. So it's, everybody has to make this whole uproar because two women talked about, you know, how good their pussy is. But, like, the same, Janae Iko has um, Pussy Fairy, and Pussy Fairy talks about how good her pussy is. That's that whole song. But instead of rapping it, you know, she's singing it, and she sounds, you know, cute. But it's the same shit. Thank you. Yeah. Part of the reason that you, you're my friend in my head, which I didn't even know about you, but I'm like, oh, this is why we're friends. Gospel and like shit talking music. Like, I love a Rick Ross. I love old Kanye, not new Kanye. You have to make the yeah, differentiation. Yeah, but like Kanye. old Kanye, Rick Ross, Jay Z. Like, I love trash talk, shit talk music of people yeah. boasting about, I spent this, I bought this, I fucked this. Like, I love it. Now, I'll say it's only a problem when women do it. Men do it all day, and it's no issue. No one brings it up. But when women do it, oh, no, we can't, we can't say those things out loud. And the stuff that they're saying is so stupid. Like, it's just ridiculous shit talk, and I don't understand why everyone is taking it so seriously. Pusani, Dasani, like, what? How high were you when you came up with that shit? Now, I will say that Cardi's lyrics, in comparison to Megan's lyrics, are, you know, <laughs> they're not the same. No. <laughs> Cardi's lyrics are a little, you know, a little, uh, they sound like I wrote them. I'm not a songwriter. A little, little basic. Megan, you know, she did come with some some some, some lyrics on her stuff. Yes. I will say that. Megan is a good rapper. Cardi is yes. more entertainment to me. Yes. That, that's, that's a nice word to say, entertainment. Yes. <laughs> Why do you think so many men are upset about this song? Men have an issue in general about women who are sexually open and liberated and be like, we don't need y'all, fuck y'all. And, and the funny thing was, I saw actually probably as many women as men on social media who were slut-shaming the song or people who liked the song. Tell me what the women said, because I have either cleared my timeline on Facebook or they know not to say it in my comments. So I literally have not seen one woman. Like, I've seen women say they don't like the song, but I've not seen one woman sh slut-shaming. So tell me what the women are saying. Um, so one woman in particular was like, she felt like that the song degraded women and that pussy does not rule the world and women need to have other things going for them besides, you know, wet-ass pussy, whatever. She felt like the song glorified sex. And then she made a comment, well, Cardi B's uh, husband cheated on her, so, like, it clearly that's, that's not all you need to have. Another comment very similar to that, saying that, well, clearly, you know, you need other things than pussy um, and people like that that shouldn't be talking about that all the time. You know, trying to, it's not like pick me ish, you know, trying to say that. Her having what has put or her talking about her how good her sex was has not uh, helped her or, uh, keep a man from cheating on her. But technically, nothing you do will, cheat, will keep a man who doesn't want who does not you, want to be kept. So thank you. It doesn't. <laughs> it has nothing to do with what I do. He's the one who stepped out, not me. That has nothing to do with her. But that's what I thought for women, and I think a lot of women do that because we've been conditioned to feel like. If we talk about 
thinks out loud is not woman-like, but then what the hell is woman-like? What's lady-like? Like, who, who told you what that is? When we talk about sex out loud, um, people are going to view us as sluts and hoes. It's really weird to me how women will enforce those boundaries, enforce and uphold them the, the most for other women. It's like you're caging yourself by trying to cage other people. Someone, someone on somebody's post said, I, I would never talk about, you know, how good my sex is out loud. That's, you know, unladylike. Who died and made you the ladylike, you know, barometer? Like, <laughs> like who told yeah. you that this is the standard for everybody? It's not. No, and like, why do and, people need to be ladies? Like, I choose to kind of act like one most of the time, but like, you know, ratchet and respectable. There's a time and a place. I could kind of maybe see your point if, if, if people were saying, if there was like scientific data that said, you know, if you don't talk about sex out loud, if you, you know, wear long dresses and always proper and whatever, that there's a 90% chance, it, you know, that you, you get married at 21, like that's what you want to do. Okay, to a good man who never cheat, who will provide, you know, whatever. But if there was scientific proof that I can maybe, I, right, all right, maybe you got a point. So, I mean, there is there is no proof to what you're saying. Um, me, me being approved or me being a saint or me being whatever you deem I should be does not go, it's going to make anything I, I feel it's going to, not going to make nobody want me, want me any quicker. It's not going to make any, not going to make, you know, my life any better. It's not, you know what I'm saying? I still have bullshit. When I, when I was celibate, I was celibate for three years, right? I was celibate. Ooh, girl. I was, yeah, I was in the church. I was doing, I was following Heather Lindsay in my 20s. I led a Pinky Promise um, chapter here where I live in North Carolina. And I was still dealing with not shit men then, too. If I'm about to deal with y'all anyway... I might as well get some enjoyment out of what I'm doing. What was the transition from you being like full-fledged pinky promise to being like, I think I'm going to start sex with Ashley? The short answer is I was horny. So That'll do it. <laughs> One day I was like, why am I doing this? That's really why I asked myself, like, why am I doing this? You know how you just do stuff just to do it, to go through the, you know, to go through the, the, the motions, but like, it's just an act. Sort of kind of, you're not, you're not really like transformed. You're just doing something just to be doing it. That's just kind of what I felt. I feel like I'm just doing this because I was told, I was taught, because my family's church, that this is what you're supposed to be doing. And then I was like, why am I doing this? I'm not happy. You know, like, I, I want to have sex. So why not just have sex? And then I did, and I never went back. Guilt-free sex is amazing sex. Amazing. Like, I was... You know, on social media or wherever I was, you know, being, uh, representing this person behind closed doors, like, I want, I'm either having sex and then feeling bad about it, or I want to do it. And, like, I'm low-key being a hater because you're out here doing it and being free. And I it's something like, dang, I wish I could do that. But I'm, I'm too tied to what I think I'm supposed to do to do it. I wasn't free. I absolutely think there are some women who are just like, I want to, you know, follow what they've been taught and they're completely happy that way. They want to wait um, until marriage and all of that. And I'm like, if it's something that you want to do, then like, God bless it. My issue is when people are like, well, this is what I do. So this is what everybody should do. And I'm like, if you don't want to fuck, don't fuck. But if you want to fuck, go fuck somebody. I have a friend, um, well, a couple of friends um, who 
waited till they got married. Then I had some friends who like were really struggling with the whole um, having sex thing. I had one friend who actually fell off the wagon after that sexual encounter and like really beat herself up about it like for a long time. And I was like, girl, it's okay, girl. Like, God still love you. Yeah. <laughs> I was also like raised in the church, but there's really something almost tragic, I would say, that happens when you tell women to define themselves and their goodness by their virginity. And then at some point they give into natural urges and they have sex. And it's sort of like, well, then who am I if all I know of myself is like, I'm this virgin good girl because I don't have sex. And then you have it. I'm bad now. And then I don't have an identity anymore. It gets really strange. And that reminds me of the girl that was on uh, Married at First Sight two seasons ago, the little black girl. Iris is her name. She was a virgin on the show. And, like, you could tell her whole identity was in the fact that she was um, 27 or 28 and she was a virgin. Like, oh, I'm a virgin. My name's Iris. Blah, blah, blah. And so now you're married, right? And her husband, you know, he was like, okay. When she, when she told him, and she didn't, and he didn't, you know, he didn't force her or anything. But when it came to sex and, like, dating, she was very immature in that area. She didn't know how to hold a conversation, didn't know how to talk about even, just talk about things she would want to do or how to even, like, express herself in a mature sexual manner because from what, my, from what I've seen with a lot of people who are virgins, Yes, they're virgins, but they also don't date either. They totally remove themselves from, like, adult relationships with the opposite sex, so they don't fall into temptation. And that's cool, I guess, but then when you're 30 and you're 28, you're, like, very immature. Like, I'm very mature with functioning with men because I've done it, right? I've been, I've been in a situation where I've done it multiple times. But when you, the last man you've been around was when you was 18 and you 28, it's a whole 10-year window of things that you think have not learned yeah. because you have probably put yourself in this box. No, I don't remember that episode. And my mother watches that show, like, obsessively. She loves to predict Iris. who's going to, like, stay together. Would you say, babe? Ask her about Iris. Ask her about Iris. All right. <laughs> Well, like, I feel like I could talk to you for, like, days and days and days about, like, sex and everything, but I'm on a deadline, and I've got to edit this, and it's got to go up. Is there anything that I didn't ask you about that you think we should be talking about when it comes to sex right now? Women, you have to advocate for your own pleasure. You don't, do not leave it up to a man. Um, let's stop thinking about orgasms. I'm not saying you have to crush his ego. That's not what I'm saying. There's a way you could say it where you speak up for yourself. You could say, you know, well, I would like it next time if we tried X, Y, and Z. Or I would like it next time we did this longer. Men do not continually fuck women they do not have pleasure with. We do. You know what's weird to me with this whole conversation about Cardi and Meg and this song? The number of men who I think don't even consider women's pleasure. Like, not at all. It's like women talking about they want pleasure or they want like a certain size penis or they expect oral sex or something like that. Like men are all up in arms about it. And I was like, wait, are these not standard procedures? Like, No, like I had someone inbox me last week, no lie, on Instagram. She was talking about, she's with this dude, he's older. Um, he likes to do uh, foreplay really quick so he can get to like the good part. The good part is sick, the penetrative sick. And, and she was and she was one. Another question was, well, I don't orgasm. Is something wrong with me? I said, girl, no, it's not you. It's a sex that you're getting. It's him. <laughs> it ain't you. Like, the problem is, he is not, he 
is not doing the foreplay. Like, who the hell wants two seconds of foreplay and, and, and he trying to stick it in? That, no, that's not how we work. Yes. So I explained that to her. And I'm like, yeah, that's men, they do that. No, and that two minutes of foreplay, like if that's the standard, that would explain why so many men are just like wet ass pussy. What do you mean wet pussy? I'm like, yeah, like when you, you know, excite the woman, the pussy should be wet. Like, and if it's not, you should try something else. Like try things until it gets wet. Like, like do your part. Like I know there's like meds and menopause and all those other things that can be factors here. But like, let's at least try the stimulation part first. Yes. And for more than... You know, three minutes. I have a a, a twenty twenty rule because most women take about thirty minutes or so, give or take, to like have their first orgasm, right? So I tell people twenty twenty. So the first twenty minutes is above the waist. So you work on like kissing and foreplay and nipple play and whatever she wants to do above the waist, right? And then after that, you do the, the next twenty minutes or whatever below the waist. So by that time, you do all that. It's about forty minutes. Oh, she's good and ready to go. That's an excellent rule. Yeah. You're like, yeah, I know. The 2020 rule. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you, Ashley. You're wonderfully enlightening. Um, and I hope to have you back. We might need to have like a whole like sex with Ashley segment. Come on. She's like, come on, bring it on. Bring it on. Cause I'm sure like the questions in my inbox and yours will flow freely after this conversation. All right. Thank you, babes. I really appreciate you. Thank you. Ashley's so fun. She's been a Facebook friend in my head for years. I was serious about the sex with Ashley segment. I've been playing around with the format of Ratchet and Respectable. I always want to make sure that I deliver a fun, quality episode that lives up to the name of this podcast. And I think today, we probably lived up to it more often than we usually do. So that's the episode. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. If you would like some Ratchet and Respectable in your life before next Thursday... Please follow me on social media at Demetria L. Lucas. And if you liked what you heard today, please subscribe on whatever platform that you are listening on. They all matter. Please subscribe. I appreciate all streams, all downloads. Okay, so I think that's everything. We'll talk soon. Next week, Thursday, midnight. Okay, bye. Bye.